opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, big reminder, your Phoenix Suns are in the playoffs, and we've got the hottest ticket in town, giving you an opportunity to register to win a pair of Suns tickets to see Game 5. Monday and Tuesday, we're going to be calling a name each hour in the 7 a.m. hour, the 11 a.m. hour, and the 4 p.m. hour. If your name is called, you call in and register, you could win those tickets. But if somebody does not call in that 10-minute time period, we open the phones, which means you should be listening anyway. But if you want to register to possibly have your name called, just text the word TICKET to 411923. That's TICKET to 411923. You might go to Game 5. All right. How many guns have Americans purchased since the pandemic or during the pandemic? That number is almost 60 million. 60. We are now seeing in states where they are talking about invoking a what they call an assault weapons ban. Those states have got a huge run on guns. I will tell you it's not a secret, but this is how it works. When there are presidents in office that talk about gun bans, gun sales go through the roof. So you can think whatever you want about gun owners if you're a, if you are a gun control enthusiast. And I would I would implore you, I would beg you to do your homework on the people that are buying guns. I'm never going to ask you to change your position. But there is a reason why reasonable people, many of your neighbors, when they start hearing that the federal government may be stepping in and banning a certain type of weapon that they go and buy those weapons. There's a reason why that continues to happen. There's a reason why 60 million guns were purchased. You got to talk to yourself about being in the minority of people if you're not a believer. And if you look at the demographics of people that are purchasing firearms, the fastest growing demographic are African American women that are purchasing guns. Guns are an equalizer in the minds of many. I heard some great analogies recently, and uh, it is a great equalizer. People are afraid. And if you go back to during the pandemic and you look at some of the things here in the Valley, now I used to live kind of in the Arcadia area. We called it Arcadia Light. And um, that was one of the areas that was going to be targeted by Antifa through the intelligence that was gathered by law enforcement. We know that Scottsdale Fashion Square got kind of rioted one night. People were afraid. And when people are fearful, they're going to protect themselves. And when you say to the American people, crime is on the rise, and we're going to take away your ability to protect yourself, they run out to do something about it. That is a reasonable response from people. So if you are an anti-gun person and you hear the number 60 million guns are purchased, you have to realize it's not 60 million crazy people or 30 million crazy people buying two guns. That they're, These are not mentally challenged, crazed people. These are average Americans that realize that there is something to be said for protecting yourself. So we know that there are people that do bad things with guns. How do we stop those bad things from happening? That's one of the questions. That's a big question. And I think it's a valid question. But while we are asking it, don't forget that that number continues to rise. So you are kind of the outlier in some way. And I don't mean that as a negative. I'm asking people, I don't expect you to ever agree, but have a better understanding. If you're someone that's never owned a gun, never touched a gun, never purchased a gun, don't even know anybody that owns a gun, never seen a gun in person, you are in a place of ignorance, not stupidity, and you don't know what you don't know. 
talk to somebody that's a gun owner. I'd be happy to have a conversation with somebody about why I own firearms and what's the purpose of having more than one and what's the difference and why do you need this and why would you do that? How about the process of legally obtaining a firearm? What about the sense of responsibility? What's funny is the NRA that is supposed to be the most evil organization when it comes to gun control advocates. Do you realize that the National Rifle Association is the premier training organization in America? They are a gun safety organization, training in gun safety, training instructors in gun safety. It is an amazing organization that promotes gun safety and legal firearms ownership. What's focused on about the NRA is the fact that they lobby the government heavily to keep the Second Amendment, the Second Amendment. But if you look at what they do, they do so much in safety and training. And what the reason why I'm doing this is because I want shootings to end like you do. But there are far more reasons that it's happening than the fact that guns are available. State of Washington is now saying that they are moving forward with their assault weapons ban. Colorado, which is also known as a blue state, is not going to ban assault weapons. When you go to cities like Chicago where there's this huge high murder rate, what are their excuses? Well, people are getting the guns from other places and bringing them into Chicago because they're not buying them here. Well, no offense, the the criminals that are shooting each other in Chicago are not getting guns through legal means anyway. And by the way, the number one firearm that is killing people in our society, if you believe it's the guns, are handguns. It's not rifles. It's not the AR-15 type rifle. It is a handgun. Whether they are semi-automatic handguns or they are uh, revolvers, handguns are used in far more deaths than rifles are. So this emotional response, I understand, but it's got to be defeated. Because let's say the gun lobby or the anti-gun lobby is successful in getting bans put in place. I think there is a danger in it. There's two of them. One of them is it infringes on a law-abiding citizen's Second Amendment rights. Number one. But number two, it is like going to the doctor when you're not well. When you go to the doctor and you're not well, you go there and the doctor diagnoses you and says, this is what's wrong with you. And they're wrong. They diagnose you with the wrong illness and they begin to treat you for the wrong illness. You leave there believing you are now on a pathway to better health. But you're worse off because you think the problem's going to go away, so you're not looking for another treatment or the right treatment for it anymore until you are sicker than you were before and they figure out the misdiagnosis and you find the right path. And I believe that to be this with firearms. And I know a lot of people don't agree with me, but this is about mental health. This is about mental stability. It's about laws that are already in place that are not being enforced. It's about lists that people are supposed to be on that they're not and updated enforcement lists. Because I will tell you the firearms dealers that I know, and there are many of them, the firearms dealers that I uh, I talk about Tombstone Tactical all the time. And I don't want to bring any one specific place into my political conversation because I don't know where they stand. But I can tell you this. I've gone through the background check process. I have gone through the concealed carry permit process with the fingerprinting and the background check. I've been through it multiple times understanding how well it works. I've seen people denied firearms. I also have seen firearms dealers where somebody has qualified, so to speak, to buy a firearm by passing the basic background check, but denied because it's suspicious in nature to the seller. So the idea that firearms dealers are irresponsible 
is also a false narrative. Uh, what we're going to do in a moment is uh, we're going to talk about the, the Red Cross. Could the Red Cross be in legal trouble for helping migrants? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. This record, this song is why Prince will live in the minds of people forever. This album was generation changing. I, I, I know some people think that's overstating it. I love Prince. This was such a great record. Uh, happy Friday. Thanks for being here. Coming up, bottom of the hour, Jay Timmons, Danny Seiden going to join me. Jay Timmons uh, is the president and CEO of the National Association of Manufacturers. Danny Seiden, president and CEO of the Arizona Chamber of Commerce. A conversation about an event in town for manufacturing and the future of Arizona's economy. It is going to be very uh, insightful, and that's coming up at the bottom of the hour. So please make sure you're here for it. It's always fun to talk with, especially with Danny Seiden. Uh, such a wealth of information about the future of Arizona and how we've gotten to where we are in a very good place economically and where we're headed and how we're going to get there. Should be fun. Uh, so please be here for it. The Texas Attorney General is looking into the Red Cross and – he is doing this because there is a guide that the Red Cross put out for U.S. bound migrants. Now, a nonprofit organization like the Red Cross is doing what nonprofits do, and that is they don't see borders, they don't see race, they see people when there's a need. I say this all the time. You know, the the food banks and the um, uh, the soup kitchens and the homeless shelters and um, the places that serve the needs of humanity and. Our community here in Arizona, our communities, they don't see any of those other things, nor should they ever. They serve the needs that are right in front of them, and I admire them for that. Is this crossing a line? And I'm not making accusation of all the good things and the great things that the Red Cross does. Should there be some accountability if you are helping people cross? If you're giving people guides to come across, the reason why I ask that question is, does it cross the line? Is it them saying, and it's a legitimate question, are we saying we're saving lives by not having people die on the journey and that's our mission? Or is it saying you're incentivizing it because you're making it easier? That is a very fine line. Now, I don't know if this rises to the level of criminality. I, can't, I mean, I can't answer that question. But will there be a moral fallout from this? Will people look at the Red Cross and say, you are aiding people in breaking American laws at a time where our immigration crisis is at the worst it's ever been? I'm not – I'm certainly not – I'm not sitting here in judgment. I'm asking a legitimate question because I'm wrestling with it myself. When we talk about this during show prep, when we start talking through the different ideas of how we feel about something, there are many times when I look at a headline and I know exactly what I think. I know exactly what line of conversation I want to go down. With this, I'm looking at this and saying there's two ways you can look at this. One is their mission is to save lives and help human beings, and that's what they're doing. Another one is to say we understand. Understand that when they're inside our country, that you are going to be there and help them. But helping them get here crosses a line where you are helping someone break the law. Is there a difference in helping someone that is an addict recover from their addiction and crossing the line by helping them feed that addiction in a way that has less of a chance of killing them? 
And and so this is a valid question. And I certainly am not going to demonize the Red Cross for their decades of good work in the world. I just wonder how this will be perceived by people when they read the stories. Um, the This uh, attorney general said his office is reviewing information regarding this. He noted that his office has not yet opened any formal investigation into the matter. But the issue here is if you are – if you use contraceptives methods, methods don't forget to bring them with you in necessary cases some red cross clinics and medical brigades will give them to you for free according to some of these documents the american red cross sits on the board of federal emergency management that's fema and food and shelter programs hands millions of dollars of u.s taxpayer money to fund the non-profit is this a breach of that agreement when you are helping people come here or at least aiding them in that process. And it is a fair conversation, and I'm anxious to see how far it goes. Right now it's Texas. I don't imagine that our governor would take that up, but would there be people in our state legislature that would want to know? Would there be members of Congress from Arizona, uh, Senator Sinema being one of them, and asking the question, is the Red Cross doing the same thing here in Arizona that they're accused of in Texas? And is it something that is an accusation? Is it something saying that this is not something you should be doing? You're aiding an illegality. That doesn't mean you don't have a good heart in doing it, but is it illegal? And if it is, and you are getting large amounts of taxpayer dollars, does that come into question? Do they start questioning whether or not you're going to get get to keep that money? There is a... Um, a big event happening called Competing to Win, which aims to promote the manufacturing industry and competitiveness throughout the United States. This uh, is happening here in Arizona. Joining us in a few moments, Jay Timmons, who is the president and CEO of the National Association of Manufacturers, is going to be with me. And so is Danny Seiden. Many of you have heard Danny on the show a number of times. He is the president and CEO of the Arizona Chamber of Commerce. We're going to talk to them about this event, but I want to talk about how Arizona has gotten to where we are. But more than that, where we're going. Uh, do we have the workforce? Is this recession going to damage what is a booming economy? It should be a fascinating conversation, and we're going to have it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, I'm very excited about this conversation. One of my guests, a frequent guest on the show and has been for years, Danny Seiden from the Arizona Chamber. Danny, welcome. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for having me. Love being on the show. Lots of good stuff to talk about. Exciting day for us in Arizona. And we also have joining us, Jay Timmons is with us from the National Association of Manufacturers. Jay, welcome. Uh, thank you very much, Mike. Good to be here. Uh, it should be a great conversation. I have been a, I have been someone that's an advocate, uh, not as much as you, uh, Danny, but an advocate for the um, the the diversification of our economy and moving just away from construction where I came from. And a lot of that has to do with manufacturing. Can you talk about, or both of you will talk about this event that's happening about competing in the manufacturing industry and why it's so important? Uh, absolutely. I'll let Jay uh, explain what competing uh, to win is about. But I would just start by saying. We have, you know, in Arizona, become the number one state in the country right now for manufacturing job growth. And we have all kinds of good statistics to report out. And I want to share those with you later. But for now, I'll let I'll let Jay take it away. All right, Jay, what, can you explain what this event is and why it's so important? Yeah, so we're getting uh, a group of manufacturing leaders together to talk about some of the big issues that, you know, are facing um, 
facing manufacturers when it comes to investment and job creation and wage growth in the United States. And the good news, quite frankly, Mike, the good news is that we're just poised to, to take off like like we've really never seen before. And there's a few reasons for that. And if you take all the politics out of, out of the equation and you just look at, at what has happened over the past five or six years, during the Trump administration, uh, we were able to achieve competitive tax reform that allowed us to compete against economies all around the world in terms of bringing down the cost of doing business here. At the same time, we had regulatory certainty that allowed manufacturers to plan um, more appropriately and be able to, to, to balance, um, you know, balance expenditures over time. Then in the last couple of years, we've seen infrastructure investment as well as the investment in the Chips and Science Act, which, of course, led to some great investments here in Arizona. Um, and then also the, uh, the IRA bill provided some, some grants and funding for other uh, parts of the manufacturing economy that I think will inure to our benefit in the future. There were problems with that particular bill, by the way, which we could get into at another time. But, but all in all, with all these things together, we have put America back on the map when it comes to investing in manufacturing and creating manufacturing jobs here in this country so that we won't have you know the the meltdown of the supply chain that we can keep good jobs here we can grow good jobs here all that's great for the economy moving forward and and for our way of life well the obvious challenge and i hope danny can address it for arizona specifically and maybe you can nationally is that the challenge for employers big and small right now is a trained qualified workforce and we see it a lot here in arizona so if the two of you could speak to that part of it because it's great to have the jobs here now how do we get the people to fill those jobs long term thanks mike i'll Jump. That's a great question. Yeah, it it, it is. It, yeah, I'll jump on it and I'll let Jay take it away. And by the way, we are really fortunate to have Jay Timmons in the state with us today. And he is a problem solver and a fighter when it comes to manufacturing for not only our state, but the country. So to talk about talent and workforce, if I were to pull my membership, Mike, this would be their number one issue every day of the week. And when, you know, the former governor, Doug Ducey, myself and our Commerce Secretary, Sandra Watson, would travel to South Korea, to Taiwan, to meet with some of the companies who are now making investments, talent came up a lot. And we do have a good answer for it in Arizona. Years ago, the Arizona Board of Regents worked with the universities, really led by Dr. Crow, on an initiative to create what we know as the New Economy Initiative. And they looked at the pipeline that was needed to address this uh, you know, advanced tech manufacturing. And now ASU is going to graduate more engineers than anyone else in the country. You know, there are 30,000. You know, that's, a, that's under Dr. Crow's leadership. Dr. Robbins down at U of A has done a lot with R&D. We have uh, Grand Canyon University, by the way, who's really stepping up too and helping provide programs for the Votex and other things. So our higher ed and community colleges are answering this call, but it's still not going to be enough. And, you know, this is a little bit of a third rail. And I'll let Jay take it for that reason. We have to talk about immigration reform to address the rest. And this is what I wanted to ask about. So, Jay, if you want to take that away. Yeah, thanks a lot, Danny, for the third rail. But he's exactly right, Mike. Uh, one of the things that we're talking about today with Senator Cinema uh, is the need for immigration overhaul. Um, look, we know that it's, it's no secret, and certainly as a border state, Arizona knows this all too well. Our immigration system is completely broken. And we got to fix it. We need to start with strong and enforceable border security. There's no doubt about that. But we've got to invest in immigration uh, courts and 
and in, and in it and in an immigration system uh, that will allow us to prioritize our economic needs. So when we have uh, the need for, for workers that, frankly, we just can't fill in this country, or from people in this country, we have 800,000 open jobs that we just can't fill. Um, we're going to need to make sure that, that we have a steady supply and a steady stream of um, uh, of labor, and some of that is going to have to come from from legal immigration. I had a conversation just the other day with Congressman Siskamani, a Republican from Southern Arizona, and I brought up this issue to him. I came from the construction world, and I asked him this question. Doesn't this help border security by having a robust guest worker program where people are not filing illegal asylum claims or illegitimate asylum claims? They have a visa system. They can come and go across the border legally. It takes that pressure off of CBP for enforcement, and it shifts it to the more criminal aspect of things. But as to your point, doesn't it help fill these jobs where people are helping their families back home, but they are helping this thriving economy in Arizona? It seems like a win-win for everyone, and the congressman seemed like he thought it was a good idea as well. Why isn't this a bigger issue and one more talked about in the United States Congress? I've got to tell you, Mike, uh, we ought to have you running the uh, Immigration and Naturalization <laughs> Service because that type of logic is really what is missing. And it's no secret that there's a lot of vitriol and, and partisanship in Washington. But what we find, and by the way, there's nobody better at doing this than Danny, bringing people together in a nonpartisan forum, or I like to call it a postpartisan forum, um, to, to talk about these issues in a very logical and rational way. Uh, Senator Sinema has been a leader on immigration reform. She's been working with Republicans and Democrats to find commonality on some of these more vexing issues. At the heart of it, though, and it has to be the case, you've got to make sure that national security um, is, is paramount. At the same time, we have to recognize that immigration also has to be about economic security. And we can have all the debates we want about why somebody wants to come to the United States, whether it's for, for a job or whether it's to escape um, a, a, a political system that represses them or there's violence or whatever it is. The fact is, we need to make sure that we can we can enhance our own economic security. And legal immigration, exactly as you just described it, is one of the ways that we can achieve that. It's not the only way, by the way, but it is certainly a key a key component of it. All right. Well, I'm going to I have both of you for one more segment. I'm going to have Danny answer a specific question about this topic in just a moment, an Arizona specific question. So we have Danny Seiden joining us and Jay Timmons. We have one more segment with them. So please stick around. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, thanks so much for being here. Keeping uh, with the topic, Danny Seiden is here from the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Jay Timmons from the uh, uh, the Manufacturers, uh, National Association of Manufacturers. I want to go back to you with this topic, Danny, uh, specifically about the immigration aspect of this. It would seem to me that being a border state, that when it comes to the Chamber of Commerce around the country, that you and, of course, the head of the chamber in Texas, Glenn Hammer, that used to be here, would be the go-to people of the expertise of what needs to be done. Is that the case? 
case. That's nice of you to say. I, I, I think we have a responsibility to lead on it, and we do have the ability to find experts. But you're, you're, you're correct. Glenn Hammer, who is the head of the Texas Association of Business, and I have formed a regional partnership to work on things like immigration reform, to work on things like cross-border trade, to work on you know things like is the you know EPA going to pass regulations that destroy the growing economy of red states like Arizona and Texas. So we've teamed up to, to kind of have more of a state action network. And, and there's others who join in with us. Uh, you know, uh, Stivers in Ohio, former congressman, is our counterpart up there. He's great. He stands up on these issues, too. And all the manufacturers around the country as well who Jay works with. But it's also, and, and to go back to Jay's point on national security, a stable, safe a prosperous Mexico is so good for the economy of Arizona being our number one trading partner, but for America as a whole, but it goes deeper in Arizona. Um, Rocky Point is a second home for so many people here in the Valley. The family connections from people on both sides of the border, this seems like a no-brainer to all of us talking about it, but it's got to be frustrating to both of you that as common sense as this seems, nothing seems to be able to get done. It, it is extremely frustrating that people are letting politics get in the way of what is really good policy and a really good win-win that's available to both sides. You, men- you mentioned Congressman Siskamani, who we, we know very well, just spoke at our chamber event and worked together in the Ducey administration. He, he's, he's a first-generation American, and he is now in Congress. He's fighting these fights. Every day he's doing a hearing on fentanyl. It's the number one killer of men under the age of 30 in Arizona. He, he, he's aware of that, but at the same time, he doesn't want to limit legal immigration because he knows how important it is for workers as well and for our economy. And um, I, you know, I'll let Jay address yeah. it on the national level, but it's extremely important. And, and I'll say this too, Mike, you always ask, how did we get to where we are with our job growth and our huge yeah. mega projects? It's the region a lot of times. When we pitch a Lucid, you know, 10 years ago, we pitched them on being this close to Mexico, having our rail yards, being that close to a port. It, it all comes into play. So, yes, we need stabilization on both sides of that border. So, Jay, let me let me ask something to you on the manufacturing side. Maybe you have these numbers or you don't. How big of an influence could it be with that that immigration system, that guest worker program? How What kind of dollars are we talking about in jobs if we were to open that up to people from outside of our country? So I can tell you that we have about 800,000 open jobs in manufacturing today. That number is going to grow to about 2.1 million uh, by the year 2030. Uh, if we don't have some serious corrective action, that's going to cost our economy about a trillion dollars every single year. Um, think about think about quality of life that is depressed because of that. So um, we're not going to fill all eight hundred thousand jobs if we if we correct the immigration system, but we can come a long way. And we have other programs that at the NAM we're working on uh, at the Arizona Chamber they're working on as as uh, Danny mentioned earlier. Uh, but it's certainly a, a big piece of the puzzle. You mentioned a safe and secure Mexico, which, yes, is also a priority. There are some other priorities we have to focus on in addition to immigration reform, and that includes holding Mexico accountable for some of the violations that they've uh, created with the free trade agreement, as well as permitting reform to make sure that we can move some of these projects along. So immigration reform, though, is a big priority for for um, uh, the, the skills gap that we have right now in the sector. All right. So the last question for both of you is your ideology may not change in your direction and focus, but you are dealing with different parties in power and different people from, uh, you know, we have a, now a Democrat governor as opposed to a Republican governor. How does that change your approach when you're working on legislation, when you're working with new leadership? I'll start with you, Jay. 
So for the NAM, um, it's all about solutions. As Danny said earlier, uh, we focus on policy. We don't focus on politics or process or personality. Sometimes that's difficult to do. But um, I'm old enough to have been to have seen many uh, public officials uh, and and candidates, and by and large, almost all of them want to do the right thing for a stronger, more prosperous America. When you start with that position and you say, "Look, this is what we need to do to move forward," you know, you can work um, to, to to get things done, and we can create solutions, and you can kind of push the fringes off to the left and the right. And that's really how we how we operate. That's how we do it. That's how we got infrastructure. That's how we got chips and science. That's how Senator Cinema made sure that manufacturers were not unduly harmed in the IRA bill. It can get done. It's not easy, but it can happen. So uh, what about the change for you, Danny, in the governor's office? How yeah. is the relationship? You know, the the new governor, Governor Katie Hobbs, has um, repeatedly stated a commitment to making sure that the economic momentum that we have in Arizona does not go away. So we continue to take her at her word on that. We have a responsibility to educate her, much as Jay just said, on what different policies do to the economy. You know, if the you know if we were to lose the majorities in Republicans of the at the House and Senate, you can see some of the bills like removing right to work and all these things that would really drastically change the DNA of our economy in Arizona. And that's very concerning to us. So we're hopeful that um, Governor Hobbs loves these ribbon cuttings. She loves the job announcements and she knows we did not get here by accident and the policy matters. Well, I appreciate both of you coming on today. Welcome to Arizona, Jay. I'm glad you're here and especially talking about this important topic. And I wish you both so much success on the event today. Thanks, Mike. Great. Thanks so much. All right. That is Danny Seiden from the Arizona Chamber of Commerce and and Jay Timmons, the president, moving forward, our future looks bright and in large part to organizations like these two. Uh, We'll talk more about it coming up here just after 11 o'clock. We're going to talk about the climate change agenda and how it applies in policy and politics. All that's coming up next.